people who are supposedly the guardians of democracy are literally trying to jail their opposition candidate. They are trying to put the Republican nominee, the leader of the biggest political movement in America, in jail. I don't believe that Biden or his allies are the guardians of democracy. I feel like there's three things guaranteed in this life. Death, taxes, and the left is always going to overplay their hand. And that's the beauty of Trump. Every time Trump does something and I'm like, oh, maybe they got him here. They take it a step too far. Yeah. They've been doing it since he was president. And you just have to sit back and wait because you're like, oh, you know, they got a little momentum here. They're going to mess it up. All right, folks, big panel discussion headed your way. Mitch McConnell is stepping down the Supreme Court's hearing Trump's immunity case. Trump and Biden at the border. Hunter was on the Hill. Illinois is trying to kick Trump off the ballot. So much to get to with our great panel, Steve Cortez, former Trump advisor in 2020 and 2016. He's the founder of League of American Workers. And Grace Curley is back with us. She is the host of The Grace Curley Show. But before I get into it with Grace and Steve, I want to tell you about two of our great sponsors. All right, folks, if you're a longtime watcher of the show, you know about my friend Leo Grillo. He rescued a Doberman years ago, named the dog Delta. Delta stands for dedication and everlasting love to animals. That was the beginning of what became Delta Rescue. DeltaRescue.org is where you can see the videos of the great work that they're doing. They provide nutrition, veterinarian care to allow animals to roam free in their sanctuary, not a shelter. It's a no-kill, the largest no-kill sanctuary in the world. These animals can roam free. They have a home for life because of the work that Leo Grillo has done, and he needs our help. It's through our contributions, five, 10, a hundred, a thousand dollars, whatever you can spare to make sure that Delta Rescue can provide these services. But more than that, if you go on the website, deltarescue.org, you can see the videos, but you can also see the estate planning kit. And if you're an animal lover like I am, you've rescued a dog, a cat, whatever, you can go on this estate planning kit and make it part of your enduring mission so that Leo's dream continues for life and that these animals will always have a place to get the care that they need. Please go to deltarescue.org, check out that estate planning kit and see if you can help. If you're looking to secure your financial future, there's no better place than talking to my friends at Bishop Gold Group. If you go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N, for those of you who don't know how to spell it correctly, uh, you can find out what Bishop Gold Group can do to help you with a old IRA, uh, a 401k, or just to start your journey with precious metals and make an additional investment. I've done it. I called them. I had a conversation with them. If you want to call because you don't want to go online, dial 844 844- 9841616 tell them that Sean sent you you get a free promotional gift with that call or going online bishopgoldgroup.com/sean right this is where you can begin your journey and and expand your investment portfolio to include precious metals like i said i did it you get hit up all the time. I know it. I see the commercials for this group or that group, but the folks at Bishop Gold Group are the people that I trust. The people that when i invested in precious metals, I called them. I had a discussion about what was best for me that met, met my needs. You can do the same. Go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean and begin your journey like I did with precious metals as part of your investment portfolio. All right, gang. Um, I, you know, I cannot believe how much I want to talk to you guys about today because it's, it just, it was like an avalanche of political information yesterday. I mean, I, anyway, let, let's just start. With the dueling, I mean, you know, when you go to those, those sometimes, a, I don't know what you'd call them, like there's like a town center or something, and they've got that one bar with dueling pianos. I feel like today we've got the dueling border. You know, Biden's going to be in one area, Trump's going to be in the other, Steve. I, I think the thing that's weird for me 
or, or for everybody probably today is what does Biden say? It's like, is he looking at it like, yep, I did that. Right. No, exactly. I, listen, it, it would be a challenge. And, uh, you know, like you, I'm in the messaging business. If, if I were trying to message for Joe Biden, I'd have a really tough task today to try to figure out what are we going to say? What is going to be the theme that we're going to promote when you're going to a created scene of chaos? Uh, and when I say created, again, you know, it's, it's important, I think, for all of us to remember, this border crisis didn't just happen. It's not just bad luck. It's not like suddenly the rest of the world decided that they wanted to come to America. No, the rest of the world has always wanted to come to America, whether legally or illegally. And this is a created crisis by the policy failures of Joe Biden. So I think him going to the border is the right thing to do as the president of the United States, as somebody who's responsible for guarding his sovereignty and the integrity of the United States, a task he's failed at. It is at least um, a, a symbolic display that he gives a, a hoot about this. Uh, but the reality is his, his record is dismal on this score. Yeah, Grace, you know, the funny thing is, I, I feel like, do you remember the Inflation Reduction Act? And it did everything except for reduce inflation. It was like green dollars and all this other stuff. But you, they did a really nice job. They put a bumper sticker out there saying, we're going to pass the redu Inflation Reduction Act. And then it was like, why are Republicans supporting the Inflation Reduction Act? <laughs> they did the same thing with the border bill. It's not a border bill. It's like Schwarzenegger. It's not a Tuma. It's not a border bill. And yet they go down, and to Steve's point, I think they're going to go down. He's going to look at the border and say, this is why Republicans need to get on board with my border bill that's not a border bill. Yeah, and I don't put any – there's no lie too big for the Biden administration to try to push. They don't really have shame on that front. But I had a friend call me this morning, and because we've seen this happen so many times where – and it kind of goes back to what you're saying about the bill. They'll put something in a bill about uh, police, for example, like, oh, we want people to help uh, – the social workers to help in emergency situations. And then if Republicans don't get along with that and pass it, they say, Republicans want to defund the police. Republicans are anti-police. And it's always been something that's really, really, it's a stretch. But I will say this, to have the dueling images and for them now to try to make it seem like Donald Trump is anti-illegal or pro-illegal immigration, that's going to be, that you, you really have to be out of your mind because for the last eight years, we've been hearing how Trump is, you know, he's xenophobic, he's doing all these things. And so now for Biden to get down there and say, I'm very hard on immigration, and I've been trying to, on illegal immigration, I've been trying to stop this. I don't know who's going to buy that. Even like low info people, I don't know if that's going to work. See, and that's what I wanted to ask you, Steve. You said, you know, we're messaging guys, right? And I am literally about to blow my top every day about how poorly on, on the Republican conservative side this has been handled because it is a gift and we're blowing it. And he's going to walk down there and say, I passed a bill. He's going to be absolved. The fact is he was, remember for three years, why hasn't Biden visited the border? And, and Kareem Jump here said, he did visit the border in 1970. What I mean, like, and then, and no one thought it was a problem. And they said, you don't have to go to the border to know it's a problem. Okay. Well, just like he didn't go to East Palestine, et cetera, et cetera. He doesn't need to go. Then it was, I can't do anything by executive action. Although I already undid all of Trump stuff by executive action. And my guess is that, that today they're going to announce something or state of the union and, and pretend like they didn't say any of the stuff that they've said before. So what is it that we on our side need to do to Grace's point so that people don't buy and do well? Biden went down, acknowledged right. the border, and this is what he's doing. Well, you know, I think that we really need to make sure that all of America knows about the worst parts of the illegality of the border, and that is the crime that's being committed, the totally 100% 
100% preventable crime that is being committed against American citizens. And the most horrific recent example of that, of course, is Lake and Riley. Um, and I think those of us on the right need to realize that sometimes we're a bit squeamish. We don't want to look like we're, tra- we're exploiting a tragedy. Right. Um, and it's good that we have those principles, right? And that we have that kind of hesitation. However, here's the point. If we don't tell the story of Lake and Riley, if we don't tell it um, in its in its totality to the American people, and if they don't know what is happening, then those tragedies will continue to happen. So, you know, it's my view that we have to, and, and unfortunately, it's not isolated. As I said, it's probably the most horrific, most recent example, but there are a lot of examples of terrible violence being visited upon American citizens by illegal migrants. All of those crimes are 100% preventable if we simply have the will to guard America's front door. So I think as a messaging point, the most effective way, the most gripping way to convince Americans that this is a crisis, and it's not just a crisis for South Texas and Southern Arizona. No, it's a crisis for the entire country, um, is to tell those stories and and to tell them boldly and and to warn people that this could be your wife, your sister, your daughter uh, next. And the, the unfortunate reality is if we don't talk about it, if we don't um, become truth tellers that you know, with a, with a significant voice on these issues, those tragedies will continue to happen. So I think that is the, the best and most effective counter um, to the diversion tactics that Biden is surely going to uh, deploy regarding the border. But, but thankfully, too, Sean, I will tell you this: all of the polling, particularly of battleground states, show us that the American people are overwhelmingly with us on this issue and against Joe Biden. So my political uh, advocacy organization, League of American Workers, we just polled the state of Michigan. Uh, by the way, top line number, we show it uh, in a dead heat, an exact tie, 43-43, Trump against Biden in Michigan. So I believe Michigan is very much in play, a state that, of course, Biden won in 2020. But the main thing driving voters away from Biden in that state, who had voted for him last time, um, and we got a good representative sampling that leans slightly toward Biden 2020 voters, the, the main issue that's driving them away from him is immigration. When we asked specifically about the border, we actually took Biden's name out of it to try to make it more just a generic, um, uh, honest question about the government's management of the border. We said, is it strong or is it weak? Um, Overwhelmingly, 73% of likely voters in Michigan said it is weak. Only 22% said it is strong. When we went down to working class men, 84% said that it is weak and only 9% said that it is strong. So this is an issue where the people are overwhelmingly with us if we message on it correctly, number one, it will pay political dividends. But number two, even more importantly, we can fix it. We can get Donald Trump back into office, keep a Republican House, get a Republican Senate, build a wall, and actually get control of our border again. You know, Grace, it's funny. I mean, Steve brought up Lake and Riley, the young woman that was killed in Georgia. The, the mayor of Athens, Georgia, did this press conference. I'm sure it's now gone viral. I tweeted it out. Ascribe to sanctuary cities. We know what sanctuary Are things that are disallowed by Georgia law. And we contribute a document every year to the Georgia Department of Audits indicating that we do not correspond to these definitions under state law. Yes, you do. And no policies have been adopted by the mayor and commission that have created sanctuary city status in Athens. You need to resign. One protocol that sometimes arises. He literally had what, a year or two ago, was very open and, and braggadocious about the fact that Athens, Georgia was a sanctuary city. Now that that young woman was killed and the policies that he has supported that brought people, welcomed them into these communities is bearing fruit in a horribly 
negative way. He's now like, oh, I didn't do this. These guys on the left created this problem. It was a magnet. They've asked them to come to this country. They've promised them benefits. They've promised them refuge and housing and gift cards. And now they're like, oh, we didn't do this. This isn't us. And they, they get away with it. And it kills me, Grace. Yeah, because it's you can't have it both ways. That's what I always tell the Biden administration. You can't be so proud. What do they say back to you? <laughs> they don't return my emails. It's the worst <laughs> thing. Um, no, but it's it's so true, Sean. And you're talking about Mayor Gertz, obviously in Athens. And you're right; everyone should check out that press conference because we can't do it justice. You got to see it for yourselves. But it's a microcosm of what's happening with this entire administration, which is. One day they're bragging about something and the next day they're like, oh, that wasn't us. And what's really funny, since we're talking about the border and kind of going back to what Steve said, if you look at this old cut of Mallorca's on with Nicole Wallace from a couple of years ago, this administration was so proud of themselves for undoing everything that Trump did on the border. At one point, this was they were banging the drum about it. Oh, we undid this. We undid that. Well, this policy has been reversed. This policy, but they were so proud of it. And now suddenly it's like, well, we've been trying and, and this is Trump's fault. How is it Trump's fault? You undid everything that he had in place and now you're trying to blame him for it. It doesn't make any sense. But to even go back further to what you said about the messaging, we have to get it out there because it doesn't, it doesn't do anything to just say, oh, they're hypocrites. Yeah, we all know. The three of us know that. That's not helping us. So Steve's right. You have to put this in a in a way, and he's great at it, and you're great at it, where you can message it out to people and you can you can get out the narrative that we have. Because as much as it pains me to say, Democrats are great at that. And think about it. They've got this old man. They've got Corrine Jean-Pierre. I mean, they have such dysfunction, and yet they're able, and it's because the media is on their side, they're able to kind of infuse their narrative into day-to-day life and get it out there. So Republicans have to get better at it because what's happening is outrageous. And for them to turn around and say, well, we reversed all these policies, but it's also Trump's fault. You can't have it both ways. It doesn't make any sense. No, and, and that's that's absolutely right. This is the issue. They keep wanting to have both sides of this. And, and you, you know, the CNNs of the world love to talk about both sidesism. Well, this is literally the policy version of that. They, these guys want to argue both sides and claim whichever the positives are to be both. I do want to move on to this big issue coming out of the Supreme Court. I think if you're Donald Trump, you got not just, a, you got a huge win yesterday, uh, Steve, when it comes to this ruling about immunity, they're going to hear right. on April 22nd, his case for immunity. We all know the, the, the president has some degree of immunity, right? We've right. talked about this on the case. I've had Mike Davis on. I've had Alan Dershowitz. And everyone said, like, it's crazy. You can't, everyone from cops to public officials of any stature get some degree of public immunity because if they make a decision in their capacity as an official, you can't sue them. You cannot sue Barack Obama because he dropped a drone strike there or because Biden, his failure you know, from Afghanistan, those 13 families can't sue him because of his actions. But it's murky. If the court doesn't grant some degree of immunity, we have a problem. And, and so I guess let's just start with Steve. The, how big of I mean, I think this was a a big deal for Trump on a lot of fronts. No, listen. So you know, starting with the politics of it, uh, it's a massive win for President Trump. I mean, first of all, I believe that the court will eventually rule at least largely in his favor. I think it'll probably be a very nuanced ruling. I think kind of to your point that, um, you know, there can't be no immunity, but there can't be obviously absolute immunity. Uh, for every action in office either. So, you know, where they will uh, set that line or set that standard 
will be fascinating to see, but we won't get that result in all likelihood until late June or even early July. And so if they're to rule against, let's say they rule against Donald Trump um, and say, no, he can be prosecuted uh, as he is in his January 6th case, which I think is a complete sham case. But let's say they, they say it can go forward. Um, the timing of it means that you would literally be trying, then the DOJ would be trying the Republican nominee right into the literally into the days and weeks of the election. And even the Biden DOJ, I don't believe, is that crass um, and will engage in, the, in that kind of you know, just direct election interference, which tells us that this case is almost surely, like the other federal case, the Mar-a-Lago documents case, is almost surely to be punted to past the election. I think the Georgia case has been completely neutered, even if it does go forward. That has been revealed to be an atrocity uh, before the world. And the people who should be on trial probably are Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade, uh, not Donald Trump. So I think that case has been made politically irrelevant. If anything, it's probably helping Donald Trump in the state yeah. of Georgia. By the way, I, I think that case combined with this Lake and Riley tragedy, I think those twin forces together are, are going to seal a Georgia win um, for President Trump in terms of the, the election. But, um, but that means then that the only case likely to go forward is the Alvin Bragg one in New York, which I think you know, all four cases, in my view, are unjust and ridiculous and to some degree laughable, but that is the most ridiculous of the four. And so if there is a conviction in that case, which might well happen, you're probably going to get a very anti-Trump New York City jury who's willing to go along with Alvin Bragg. Uh, if that is the only case that comes to uh, fruition, to a, to a verdict, and, and I'm, if we're assuming it's a guilty one, how harmful will that one be politically? I don't think very is, yeah. is the answer. So uh, it's a big deal politically um, uh, for this year and for you know these coming weeks and months. But I think it's also a big deal for the United States, frankly. You know, we have to have clarity from the Supreme Court on just what does this presidential immunity mean? Um, and, and, you know, to give an example, you know, you mentioned a drone strike, but we, we cannot have uh, presidents who make mistakes in office liable to prosecution after that mistake, even if it's a dreadful mistake. You know, right. let, let's talk, for example, George W. Bush in the first Gulf War, totally predicated on a lie, on, on nonsense that there was weapons of mass destruction. Can we prosecute him for that? No, I mean, I don't think so. Now, should he politically, in terms of uh, public sentiment, be held liable? Absolutely. And I think he deserves uh, blame for that, enormous blame. But can he be prosecuted? You know, no, that would be, it would be ridiculous. And it would, it would completely, uh, it would completely um, disable presidential powers if we were to go down that road. So I think we're going to get clarity. And I think a great week in terms of timing, uh, a great few days of announcements for President Trump. You know, Grace, Steve brought up the timing, and that's, that's exactly right. That the court watchers and the legal experts say that, you know, after, even if the court were to rule real quick, you get three months or so before the trial can start. And then you're going, wait, gosh, do you really want to be accused of election interference in this? That was a win. The reason I bring this all up, because I think what Steve's analysis at the end was, was really helpful on is the media loves to ask every single Republican, if he's convicted, would you still vote for him? And right now it's looking harder and harder absent the, the Alvin Bragg case that Steve talked about that there's any case which it's even really possible that that would occur. Yeah, and, and I'm so glad Steve brought up Fannie Willis in the Fulton County case because that for so long was, that was the strongest case, which is unbelievable to think about now after the soap opera we've seen over the last couple of days. But that at one point was going to be, and legal scholars and people were saying, if any of these cases is strong, it's this one. This is the one where they can really harm Donald Trump. And that has completely fallen apart. And I do think talking about the timeline is so important because Remember when 
there would be all these political scandals, whether it was Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden and Hunter Biden's laptop. And we were told by the intelligence agencies, well, we just didn't want to bring anything up too close to an election because we didn't want to interfere. We didn't we didn't want to affect the voters' mindsets before an election. Like There was all this tiptoeing around it. And now you have this race to the finish line to try to uh, mu- like muddy up this situation for Donald Trump before the election. And so I'm always asking people when I have them on the show, I'm like, what, how long does this typically take? Of course, it's different because these are such high profile cases, but the timing of it is so important. And I think looking at each one of these, if what Steve says is right and it comes down to Alvin Bragg, I mean, that might be the worst case they have out of all of them. And so if that's the one they're they're putting their hopes and dreams on, I think that this is going to help Donald Trump. I think people look at this and they go, this is a witch hunt. And, and the best thing I saw about the Fannie Wills case was a tweet on social media. And somebody said, this is like a parody of what Donald Trump's team was telling people this case was going to be. Like you couldn't, you right. couldn't create that kind of satire if you try. And so all of this has been helping Donald Trump. And the one other thing I'll say, since we're talking about the Supreme Court, is now you're going to see, because the last time I was on with you, Sean, we were also talking about the Supreme Court in regards to the ballot bans. But now you're going to start to hear, which is very predictable from the left, that the Supreme Court needs to be abolished. The Supreme Court doesn't know what they're doing. Uh, we need to pack the Supreme Court. This is all Trump judges. So just get ready for that, because as, as these things start to go in Trump's right. direction, we're going to start to hear yeah. how the Supreme Court is oh, I, I agree. I think that's definitely coming in. By the way, too, if I can just add this to the yeah. to the timeline, because this does give me some some joy. Uh, you have to try to find things that are enjoyable within the, <laughs> within these scandals and these uh, these just, again, totally unjust persecutions are really not prosecutions. Uh, but it gives me some glee to note that these prosecutors, Jack Smith, Alvin Bragg, uh, Fannie Willis, all of them tried to play the timing exactly correctly. In other words, they wanted this all to happen in the summer right yep. before the election. And guess what? They were being too cute. They waited too long to bring their cases. They didn't realize that there were going to be all kinds of legitimate reasons why these cases will be delayed. They should have known better as, as prosecutors. Um, but, you know, for example, the January 6th case, I mean, what so many, almost all of the January 6th charges against other defendants came within weeks of the events of January 6th, right? Why the delay? Why did, the, why did Jack Smith wait to bring there his case go. until now? Because he wanted maximum political impact. That, and he, his crass decision was, let's wait, let's charge, charge Trump in the middle of the fourth quarter uh, so that uh, we will do the, the maximum political damage to him into the election. And guess what? It didn't work. And it is going to be delayed past the election. So they were too cute. Uh, they've been playing with the process. They're not about justice. They're about, about pure, brazen, uh, uh, bare-knuckle politics. And they, they misfired when it came to the timing. Couldn't happen to a better bunch of people, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, and that's, that's, I think you're putting your finger right on this problem. Is in every one of these cases, they went a step too far so that even Trump detractors were like, whoa, like, you know, we talking about the Alvin Bragg case. It's like, so let me get this straight. The statute of limitations expired. This is a bookkeeping expense that's normally a misdemeanor. You've made it into this, this, and this, like, gosh. And then on the New York one, which is the other one that came out last night, by the way, we saw that the judge is, is sort of giving him a little bit of wiggle room on the, uh, on his ability to pay this fine and, and allowing both President Trump and Eric to continue to do business in New York while it's being appealed. I think this, that when they, when they valued Mar-a-Lago at 18 million bucks, even the people were like, are you kidding me? I don't, I've never been to Palm Beach, but there's no way that thing's 18 million. There's no victim. 
they, they've done this over and over again, Steve, where they, they, you know, I like to say they jump the shark to your point, mm-hmm. uh, and they just go too far. And the average voter goes, okay, dude, I may not even like Trump, but wow, that's a little extreme because people start to realize, and this is why Trump plays into this. He says, if they do it to me, they can do it to you because the, the, the dollar figure thing, that's, that's my, my view is like they come after, they came after him three ways. Let's get him off the ballot. Let's prosecute him criminally and let's bankrupt him personally. We've, we tried this in 2016. We tried him in 2020. We didn't get him. So let's get him on a full frontal assault. Right. Yeah. And by the way, speaking of the ballot, you know, some unfortunate new news there out of my former home of Chicago. Uh, by the way, I left Chicago as a political refugee to, to sanity in red America, but I uh, lived half of my, uh, well, more than half of my life in the city of Chicago. They just took him off the ballot. A Cook County judge took him off the ballot in the state of Illinois. Now, I don't think that's going to stand, but it just shows us the tactics that are being, uh, that are being deployed here by, by judges, by, by corrupt prosecutors, many of them Soros backed by Biden's DOJ. Uh, and by the way, this, I think, should all lead us to uh, when it comes to, to Biden's uh, themes for the campaign. Really, he has two things. One is the economy is great. You just don't know it. So he says, yep. you, you know, you're just dumb. OK, basically, that's his first <laughs> message to voters is you, you, you're doing fine, buddy. You just don't know it. You're too stupid to know. It. OK, that's the first. It's, it's, by the way, it's the equivalent of you're not black enough. It's you're yeah. dumb enough that, you know, this is the right. the general pop uh, discussion. Yeah. How of How dare just, you worry you about money? Uh, you know, you should know better. You're fine. Uh, that's yeah. his first message. His second message is uh, Trump is Hitler, okay? And I'm going to defend democracy, right? I'm defending democracy. But let's realize uh, the, the people who are supposedly the guardians of democracy are literally trying to jail their opposition candidate. They are trying to put the Republican nominee, the leader of the biggest political movement in America, in jail. And they're trying to do it four different ways. They're also trying to bankrupt him financially, and they're trying to take him off the ballot uh, through corrupt judges. So uh, let's talk. Let, let's have a talk about democracy. Is sort of my response. I'd love to uh, because I don't believe that Biden or his allies are the guardians of democracy. No, no. All, by the way, I've, I've said this before. You know, it's funny for the guardians of democracy. They canceled the Florida primary. They're trying to keep all the third parties off ballots throughout the country, and they're going after Trump. That sounds. I mean, to me, my whole the bedrock of a democracy is the ability to vote. And if you're canceling that, which is what Biden's doing, that seems a heck of a lot more intrusive to the ability to, for democracy to flourish than using the court system to protest an election that you didn't like. Oh, I didn't, I didn't see that. Grace. They have to, Sean, they have to kill democracy in order to save democracy. I know. Okay. Well, is, the, can I tell you one more thing, Sean? The thing you said about jumping the shark, I feel like there's three things guaranteed in this life. Death, taxes, and the left is always going to overplay their hand. And that's the beauty of Trump. That is the absolute beauty of Trump. Every time Trump does something and I'm like, oh, maybe they got him here. They take it a step too far. They've been doing it since he was president. And you just have to sit back and wait because you're like, oh, you know, they got a little momentum here. They're going to mess it up because he's totally broken them mentally. And so it's just it's a guarantee. No matter what they do, you know, they're going to take it a step too far. Yeah. That's, I mean, they, he literally sets them. I mean, they walk, they walk. It's Lucy with the football. They walk into the trap every time. And you're like, dude, you're going to screw this up. And they do it every time on all four cases. As we talked about, it was like someone would raise their hand and be like, okay, I saw what Alvin Bragg did there. But you know what? I'm going to one up you. I'm going to hire my boyfriend and pay him cash to go after Trump. So take that Alvin Bragg. And then, I mean, like, and then the, the New York, you know, Tish James was like, okay, I saw what you did there with Nathan Wills. I'm going to devalue Mar-a-Lago to $18 million and charge you with a victimless crime that's happened in 2016. So take that. They kept going. 
Hey, folks, during a time of crisis, are you going to be prepared? You know, when I was White House press secretary, we spent a lot of time going through contingency operations and making sure that we were ready in an emergency. The question is, will you be? You will be, though, if you go to fourpatriots.com slash Spicer. Get the Patriot Power Generator 2000X to make sure that when the power goes out, whether it's an hour or a day or even a month, you will be ready. You will be able to plug in your TV, your computer, your phones, your medical devices, and yes, even your refrigerator. The beautiful thing about the Patriot Powder Generator 2000X is it runs off a solar panel, and that solar panel comes with it for free. So during a time of crisis, you will have the power that you need. The Patriot Power Generator is portable too. You can bring it in your house. And unlike a gas-powered one, you have to worry about filling and refilling. The Patriot Power Generator has no fumes, and no noise. You can keep it in your kitchen if you wanted to power your refrigerator. You can put it in your car if a friend or a neighbor needs help. But during a crisis, during an emergency, this is what you're going to need. Get ahead of the curve. Be ready for yourself and your family by getting the Patriot Powder Generator 2000X. Go to fourpatriots.com slash Spicer now. Steve brought up the word tactics. And I was wa- reading uh, X this morning, and Ari Fleischer had a really interesting thing about, you know, Illinois, he mentioned tried to take Trump off the ballot. Like, I was like, dude, that ship sailed, brother. Like, the court's already deciding that. I feel like somebody was on vacation and the Secretary of State or whatever got home and was like, hey, what's going on? They're like, "Uh, Colorado and Maine took Trump off the ballot. You go do it. You go do it. Take him off the ballot, too. I missed that. Where was I? And they were like, oh, sorry, the court's already ruling on it. No, 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 just get him off the ballot. So Ari Fleischer tweeted out. He said, it's time for a red state to remove Kamala Harris from the ballot for his her fundraising on behalf of arsonists during the riots of 2020. Fight fire with fire. You know, Grace, Steve touched on this. Like, we always want to have this intellectual, like, you know, we're conservatives. We're better. We will put a tablecloth down and then discuss this matter amongst ourselves at an appropriate time when the tea is done. Why? Like, I, I there are days when I'm like, guys, like, this is what they're doing to us. And we're sitting back here like, no, 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 please don't do it again. Yeah. And that's the, you just said there are days, which is how I feel too, because I go back and forth on it. Sometimes I do fall into that principled conservative mindset where I'm like, well, is this the right way to hit? And then other days I'm like, screw it, throw everything at the wall. This sucks. But you know, you know what the thing is, is like the thing that drives me crazy. And I'll, I'll take it back to Mallorca's uh, impeachment, because that was a good example where I, for a long time was thinking, Uh, is it really going to do anything? Is it really going to do anything? And then I heard Democrats saying, this is so political. This is so this. And I thought all the impeachments we had, all these constitutional scholars had no issue with these impeachments against Donald Trump, which were based off very little. Totally different. Totally different. In this case, you've got a guy with a complete dereliction of duty. He's let this, he's told us time and time again, the border is secure. So I'm sitting there going, so we're not going to do something because of our principles. And it doesn't mean that when the shoe's on the other foot that they're not going to do it. It just means that they're going to wait until they get power and they're going to do it right back to us. So again, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I hear both sides of the argument. And a lot of times I go, yeah, that kind of does make sense. Maybe it's not the right move. But there are days where I'm like, I'm so sick of this. I'm so sick of Republicans playing nice and then just getting screwed over time and time again. Yeah, I don't get it. Stop it. We we do this. It's impeachment. It's We did that. If you go back, you know, to, to like, at least where I think a lot of this started with, with the Bork hearings back when Reagan nominated Bork and Ted Kennedy changed the rules and didn't want, I mean, like they start this, they change the rules in the Senate all the time about nominations. And then we go, well, we, we promise not to, why, 
Why yeah. are we, you know, yeah. it was funny. I, I don't mean to digress, but I think Steve knows it's like when, when I left the White House, President Trump appointed me to the Naval Academy. When Biden got in, uh, I was on two commissions. I was on the White House Fellows and I was on the Naval Academy. They asked for my resignation on the White House Fellows. I said, sure, absolutely. It's a White House board. The president has a right to have his people in. Biden's in. Okay, here's my resignation. They said, resign from the Naval Academy. And I said, absolutely not. It's never happened in the history of the United States. I was appointed under a congressional act to have this happen. My term will end in a few months and obviously you won't reappoint me, whatever. And, and everyone else, Kellyanne Conway, everyone else completely, okay, we're done. And I was like, I got Stephen Miller's group, America First, and we said, let's fight this. Yeah. We, we don't, we all go, oh, it was so wrong of them to do. You know what? Grow up. Go like fight fire with fire. I think Ari's right, Steve. We got to start fighting. And everyone goes, oh, it's so bad what they did. And nobody pushed back on this. Right. They all roll over. Good for you for for fighting back, uh, right? Because you, and by the way, you you had earned that nomination uh, through your service to our country in uniform and your service as a civilian at the highest levels. I mean, who could be better qualified than you to be on that board? Uh, at Annapolis. So thank you for for fighting back uh, because it's important. But for too long, you're exactly correct. I think for too long, uh, we have shown up to the fight. We show up with a bunch of pillows and the left just show up with knives and ships. Okay. (laughs) And that's the reality. And I think here's the thing, uh, because I think particularly those of us who are are my age and up, you know, sort of middle-aged and older, we still remember a Democratic Party that was reasonable. Okay. And the Democratic Party does, that party does not exist anymore. Your parents and your grandparents' Democratic Party is gone. So the idea of compromising with the radicalized Marxists, and that's what they are, the idea of compromising with the Marxists, the 2020s Democrat Party, it's an impossibility. I mean, number one, because they're not interested in it. That's the first thing. Uh, But number two, because they are stealing our country away. So this is no longer the 1980s where we're having sort of um, intellectual arguments over exactly where the tax rate should be on capital gains, but we're all basically in in agreement on sort of first principles. We don't live in that country anymore. And the Democrats of the 2020s um, are so radicalized, for example, that they believe in open borders. You know, uh, a speech really made the rounds yesterday, and I was glad to see this on social media, not just from right-wing accounts, of Bill Clinton as president of the United States giving his State of the Union address talking about illegal immigration. And let me tell you something, he sounded a lot like Donald Trump, and he got a standing ovation from both sides of the aisle in the 1990s in the U.S. Congress. That could never happen today. It's it, You can't even imagine that a Democrat president, first of all, would say those words, and secondly, that he would uh, receive applause, you know, roaring applause from the Democrats in that chamber. Could never happen today. So let's be aware the unfortunate reality is I, I wish we lived in that world where the Democrats were reasonable uh, and where we had an opposition that basically agreed with us on principles, but then disagreed on, on you know, sort of the, uh, the specifics. We don't have that any longer. Uh, our, our opponents are radicalized Marxists. And because of that, we need to beat them. We need to effectively earn the votes of the people, take power, use power to save our republic. I mean, I, mean, I really think that the, the stakes are that dire and we need to know who our opponents are and then fight accordingly. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think even Obama, not at a state of the union, had very similar comments about illegal immigration. And yet these guys, this goes back to this idea. There's no accountability. They can say crazy stuff about sanctuary cities, open borders, et cetera. Crime. I mean, think about how many of these people have excused what's going on in these cities. AOC talking about how people only steal because it's like Robin Hood. They're like, they only need to take care of their families and they're trying to put milk on the table. And yet we're watching people, you know, uh, break into CVSs and, and uh, you know, high-end 
retail stores to steal stuff. That's not, that, that's not, they're not stealing to put food on the table. The carjackings that occur. Um, I, I just, it's, it's a total double standard and they get away with it because they have a complicit media that allows them to change their position, say whatever they want and not get called out on it. Um, Grace, I do want to switch topics to something that I, I wanted. I want to, I need to start with you because I'm going to ease into this with Steve. It's going to be difficult. Uh, but the other big news out of Washington yesterday was that Mitch McConnell is going to step down as leader, Republican leader, longest serving. Uh, what do you, I mean, what, what are your, what, what was your take on that? Well, the timing of it's interesting with these bills that he's been trying to push and the funding for Ukraine. That's first. I always go to timing. Like, why now? Um, but I'm I'm happy. I was reading an article yesterday about how. Oh, you know what it was? It was an article and it came out before this news about Mitch McConnell. It was in New York magazine and it was about Jerry Nadler and how Jerry Nadler wants to stay in office for 10 more years. So he'd be 80. I think he'd be 86 if that were the case. And one of the lines in the article said and I'm paraphrasing here, that this is very unique to Congress, that people are staying in their jobs until they're in their 90s. And I thought about it and I thought, like, imagine if you got pulled over by a cop, right? And the cop shows up. Hi, never happened. I've never been pulled over. Can I see your license and registration? If it's a 90 year old woman, wouldn't you be like, what's happening here? Like, what? Why is this woman 90 years old? And I'm not trying to be ageist, but we talk about passing the baton. We talk about getting younger people. And just to go back here, just full circle to talk about Ukraine for a quick second, because Mitch McConnell's been very pro sending all this money to Ukraine, and we can debate that another time. But an interesting a percentage, and Steve would be better talking about this than I would because he's better with the numbers, but a really high percentage of the younger people in Congress voted against, and it actually might have been in the Senate, voted against funding Ukraine. And I just thought that was very telling because when I say younger, I don't mean like 25. These are guys in their 40s, but in comparison, they're pretty young for politics. They have a different set of priorities than these older people do. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's kind of going back to the conversation about they think they can get along. They think they can make these deals. They think that they're debating rational people. But it's it's very eye-opening to see that there is not only a huge difference in priorities here based off the ages of these people in politics, but they're voting that way. And these younger people are not, and I guess I'm talking more like the J.D. Vance's, the Judge right. Hollies, they have a different set of priorities than the Mitch McConnell's. And so I'm all for people moving aside. I don't think he's doing it because like he thinks, oh, it's my time to, there's definitely more to it than that. But yeah, if you're that old, I mean, enjoy your retirement. Like, I'm not saying in the meantime. Oh, I don't think, here's the thing. I've, I've been around a lot of these guys. They don't know to do anything else. They're used to having an aide that drives them and takes them everywhere to having their it's phone not- calls, their dinners. Their, I mean, like to them, they don't know anything else. Like that's to them, the idea that somebody, I watched, I mean, this is going back 10 years. I remember a former administration official uh, had resigned, stepped down. And the next day, they had been government so long, they had been pre- previously elected and then went into the Bush administration. The day after they resigned, they had to call somebody, a former, you know, then a former aide to say, hey, I'm, I'm at my house. How do I get to the airport? Like, I don't, how do I do this? Like, what, what happened? I mean, and I know that sounds weird to say, but if you've been driven for 20 years and you've had somebody take care of all aspects of your life and suddenly one day you wake up and it's like, you're on your own. You're going, I, I don't know what to do. And for a lot of these guys like Nadler, 
they, they're like, I'm not giving this up. I, I want to be, you know, wheeled around and taken care of until I die. Why not? What am I going to do? I, I lose power. I lose all my aids. I lose all my assistance. Um, Steve, let, let me just ask you, what, what is your take? Why, why did that happen yesterday to Grace's uh, question that she threw out? Right. You know, I, I don't know, but I suspect it's because he was so losing the support of the caucus. Right. And I really yeah. think and, and he did not want to face the embarrassment of perhaps being punted by them. Uh, so instead, he offered himself up uh, and, and also, though, very slyly and very Mitch McConnell like said, but I'm also going to take another, what, eight months or nine months uh, in office. So he's not leaving today. Right. He's leaving uh, at the at, after the election. So. Um, I, I think he had lost the support of, of the caucus. I really believe that's what happened here. And you know, but to your bigger point, and this isn't McConnell specific, it, you know, I think we need term limits, right? The president is term limited. Uh, we have to have uh, term limits on the Congress as well for exactly these kinds of reasons. The things you're talking about, the people who go to Washington D.C., maybe with good intentions, get a get a heavy case of Potomac fever, get drunk on power, never want to leave, never want to give up the power or the perks. Uh, that come with serving in office for decades and decades. Mitch McConnell was elected to the Senate in 1984, 40 years in the Senate. Uh, Joe Biden at the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue, he was elected to, to the Senate in 1972. So he has been 50 years plus in Washington, D.C., in positions of power. McConnell, 40 years in Washington, D.C. I do not believe that anybody, irrespective of party, believes that that really well serves the interests of the yeah. United States. And both of those men, by the way, of, you know, I'm being bipartisan here in my criticism. Both of them are clearly suffering so, cognitive so nice. issues. And those are not their, that's not their fault, okay, at yeah. all. It's not their fault. But it's obvious to anyone who's looking at them objectively that both of them are suffering from cognitive issues. Uh, and, and given that, that reality, they should not be in these positions of incredible power. All right, let me yeah. give you my take, and then I got one more thing I want to cover with you um, before we go. I believe, so over the weekend, one of the things that was interesting is after South Carolina, John Thune endorsed him, the number two, the majority, the, the minority whip, okay? He endorsed Trump, right? That left McConnell on an island, and I believe that McConnell did not want to follow on his sword and endorse Trump and thought, you know what? I'd rather step aside than get, have what Steve was describing happen to me. So therefore, I'm going to step aside because it was now McConnell, the only person who hadn't endorsed Trump. And there were these rumors that conversations were happening between Chris LaCivita, Trump's one of his top aides, and, and top aides for McConnell to broker an endorsement. And I think McConnell said, you know what? I'm not endorsing Trump. And I don't want to, I, I know what would happen when, it, when I don't do that. So therefore, I'm going to announce I'm stepping aside. I will say additionally, before I pose this last question, I like the idea, Ron Johnson brought this up yesterday, that he gave everyone eight months. They can have a real discussion about who the right successor is. And that's my last question. With 30 seconds each, the big narrative is that the three Johns are the top people running. John Thune, the majority whip from South Dakota, John Cornyn, the former majority, I mean, the former whip from Texas, and John Barrasso, from Wyoming, the current House Republican Conference chair. So I, I will, I, anyway, I'll save my thoughts for the end. Grace, I got 30 seconds for each of you. Where do you think the next, per, who is going to be the next person? Uh, I have other picks besides those three. I didn't say you had to limit it. I didn't say well, that. You know what they'll say? If, those, if it's the three Johns and, you know, you just put up the point, which I think is is very valid, that it's nice to have eight months to really hash this out. So you don't want to end up just sticking somebody in there right. and then regretting it. So here's what I'll say, Sean, I'm going to take eight months and I'm going to do my research. And then I'm going to oh. come back. Well, I'm going to come back on this show in eight months, book it 
Okay. I'm going to tell you my my thoughts. I'm not going to rush. It's too. I'm getting important. this. I'm getting this down right now. Steve Cortez, do you need eight months? <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, listen, all three of those Johns are way too establishment for me yeah. to get excited about any of them. I mean, I'm coming at this from the populist right, and we're not thrilled, you know, with any yeah. of the top cadre of Senate leadership. I guess you know, of the three, the worst is John Cornyn, particularly on border issues, which is uh, really ironic considering that he's from Texas, which is being inundated. Uh, so he's the worst. I'd prefer one of the other two if we have to pick from among those three. Um, probably Thune gets it is my, is my yeah. prediction. Who should get it? I believe it should be J.D. Vance. Now, that's not going to happen. He just got to the U.S. Senate. But J.D. Vance, to me, is the most dynamic, thoughtful, um, and vigorous senator on Capitol Hill. I, by the way, hope, though, that J.D. Vance, I think he's in discussions to potentially be vice president for Donald Trump. Uh, I would prefer that, of course. So if he gets right. uh, the vice presidency nod, instead of getting Senate uh, uh, Republican leader, that would be just fine with me. Yeah, I, I think. Can I, uh, can I say one thing? I know I said eight months, but can I say one thing, Sean? Yeah. There's a lot of smart, like really smart Republican senators. Yeah. At, like, like Tom Tim Cotton Pinkett, and Rick Scott and Ron Johnson. You've got Tom Cotton, you've got Josh Hawley, and you've got yeah. JD Vance. I know. You've got guys who could really own it. And I'm confused why Republicans never seem to want that. It's like, I know, no, no, no. Listen, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't need the eight months, but I'm just saying, I don't think it ends up one of the three. I think that the Ron Johnsons, Rick Scotts, Ted Cruz's, Josh Hawley's, uh, Mike Lee's all get together and say, hey, let's let's pick one of our own. Anyway, guys, thank you. We're out of time. I appreciate you both being with us. A great panel today. Tomorrow, our, my buddy Grant Stinchfield will be back on the show to break down all of the say, the stuff going on these days. Uh, remember, please subscribe. YouTube, Rumble, uh, Spotify, Apple. Hit subscribe. Hit that notification button so you don't miss another one of these great episodes. We've got a great show to end the week tomorrow with you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you back here tomorrow.